0: Grab a Bible, go to 2 Corinthians 5, lay that in your lap. Then in your program, uh, there should be a little note page and uh, you'll want to grab a pen. There's some things I think worthwhile writing down. Uh, tonight as we share some things with you as you're doing that let me share this with you if I haven't had a chance to meet you I'd love to meet you afterwards slug me in the arm let me know your name Uh, my name's Dan I happen to be the campus pastor at Norton and I guess you'd say kind of the interim here how's that but uh, we love the fact that we get to have a relationship with you guys and kind of run with you guys through this transition I can tell you this there's some exciting things happening and uh, if you're newer to Grace Church this Wednesday night This Wednesday night at 5.30, we're going to be having what is called Discovery. It's kind of the kickoff of a Discovery adventure together. And so if you're new and like, what's Grace Church all about? Uh, Want to meet some of the staff, want to know what it is that drives us, things of that nature. We would love for you to come this Wednesday night. You're saying, well, how on the road do I reserve a seat for that? Just fill a welcome card out that's in the back of your chair. Let us know you're interested, or you can kind of let us know on your way out. We would just love for you to come be a part of that. You're saying who should come to it well if you're newer to Grace Church we'd love for you to come to it right if you're somebody that's maybe been here a while but never been to Discovery we would love for you to come to it and then there's some of you maybe you started the whole process we're like hey I got halfway through and life got busy and didn't get a chance to finish it we'd encourage you to kind of jump back into it so I'd love a chance to meet you Wednesday night and the staff will be there it'd be a great time together. Then I also look forward to being with you March 17th. I think I'm going to be back uh, that week uh, preaching and then looking forward to sharing that prayer time with you uh, on Sunday. And so I hope you can come and be a part of that. Well, you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 5. Here's what I want to do. Beginning next week, we're going to start a new series together. Uh, So last week, Pastor Jonathan kind of ended a series. Next week, we're gonna start a new series together, which puts us tonight in a place where I get a chance to kind of have an isolated conversation with you. How's that? So I wanna have a conversation with you tonight that I think kind of lets us in on kind of a heartbeat of Grace Church. If you're newer to Grace Church, here's what I wanna do tonight. I wanna kind of share with you some things about Grace Church that kind of drive us, that kind of the engine that kind of makes the train go, so to speak. And so here at Grace Church, we have some key statements just to get us all up to speed so you kind of know where we're going tonight. First, we have uh, our vision statement. And so I want to let you know what the vision statement is because you kind of need to know that we belong to something that is a lot bigger than what we see here tonight. The vision statement of Grace Church is we want to see 30 campuses in 30 years. And so there's eight campuses presently and you say, why in the world do you want to do that? Well, we think we can reach more people this way, right? We're not interested in building some big mega church, but we want to go plant churches. And so uh, that's what we're doing. And so we have churches in Atlanta, we have in Sterling, Ellet, uh, up in Bath, Medina, Norton, here in Barberton. And so you're part of that vision, part of that movement. And so that vision statement is fed... By a purpose statement, if you're not familiar with that, the purpose statement of Grace Church is just we want to ignite a gospel-centered movement, and we want to do that by knowing it, living it, and giving it away, and and the it, it kind of refers to the gospel, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, so that's our purpose, why do we do what we do? That's why we do what we do, but what I kind of want to spend time talking to you about is we have vision, we have purpose, and we have these value statements. And these value statements, we have eight value statements, and they are kind of the heartbeat of Grace Church. They're the DNA. They kind of set the culture. Uh, They kind of explain to you uh, why we do what we do and why we do it how we do it. I think we have a diagram maybe we'll throw out there. In this diagram, uh, a lot of churches will spend time talking about what they do. What do you do at your church? What are the programs you offer? All that kind of stuff, right? And then they'll begin to talk about how you do what you do. When the truth is, the most important question is why you do what you do. Because why you do what you do, not just here at church, but in your life, is going to somehow instruct what you do. It's also going to instruct what you don't do, by the way, and it's going to instruct how you do it, and it's also going to instruct how you don't do it. Right? And so these value statements simply are—they're up and down the wall here in the in the auditorium, but they are just the why. Why do we do what we do? And tonight I want to spend time on one. I want to spend time on one. If you didn't know anything else about Grace Church and and you said, hey, Dan, I want you to start somewhere, what would you tell people about Grace Church? Here's where I would start. The number one value, the umbrella value I would want you to know is simply this. We live to make Jesus make sense. That is the umbrella value of Grace Church. We live to make Jesus make sense. You guys want to say that with me? Let's do it together. A little choir here. Can we do that? All right. Here we go. One, two, three. We live to make Jesus make sense. That's pretty good. That's not bad. Now, now the question is this. Why in the world do we live to make Jesus make sense? Think about this, okay? We're not going to be real in-depth tonight. We're not going to be real profound. Why in the world is that our value? Why do we live to make Jesus make sense? Here's why we live to make Jesus make sense. You ready? You might want to write this down. Because, ready? This is really big. This is really deep. Because Jesus doesn't make sense to everybody. You ever been somewhere where, where things didn't make sense to you? And, and where you were confused? I have. <laughs> you ever been confused? Raise your hand if you've ever been confused, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, I told you last time I was here, I graduated from kindergarten. And you guys were all very congratulatory afterwards, right? But, but I went on to high school and went on to college. And when I went to college, I went as a math major. I wanted to teach math and coach football, not necessarily in that order, right? I wanted to coach football and I had to teach something in order to do it, right? And so I was a math major and I remember when I started, I liked math, I liked numbers and I got in to to my major and began taking these classes, it was awesome. I took Calculus 1 and kind of like, okay, we can do that. And I went back to my advisor and they said, hey, next semester, guess what, what? Well, now that you're done with Calculus 1, you gotta go to Calculus 2, go figure, right? And I'm like, oh, gee, okay. So I went to Calculus 2 and I survived Calculus 2 the end of that semester, I went back to my advisor, and said, okay, math major, now that you're done with Calculus two, you gotta go to Calculus III. I remember sitting in Calculus 3 I'll never forget sitting in Calculus three. And I remember there was like 15, 20 of us in there, and I remember sitting there, and I was so lost. I remember I didn't know any of the answers. I didn't, even, I didn't even understand the questions. I didn't even understand the questions that people were asking. I remember I was so lost, I don't know if you ever felt this way before, that I was afraid to ask questions because I'd look dumb. You ever been like that? Like I was so in over my head, had no idea what to do. I was so lost, I became so frustrated. Guess what I did? I dropped out. I, I quit. I just quit. I'm like, I'm not cut out for this. You see, that's one thing, ready? Think about this, just go with me here. That's one thing when we're talking about math. That's another thing when we're talking about Jesus, isn't it? That's a completely different thing. You see, I remember when I was uh, planted a church in Indiana and uh, I coached football with a bunch of state troopers, a bunch of state troopers, that, that's who I hung out with. And one of them I got really, really close with. His name was Brian. And uh, Brian and I would lift weights together and all that kind of good stuff. And Brian, I remember Brian uh, lifting weights with me after he had come to a service. And I remember him looking at me and saying, who was that guy the Jews were trying to kill? And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, Jesus doesn't make sense to everybody. You see, we live to make Jesus make sense because, quite frankly, Jesus doesn't make sense to everybody. Now, underneath this value, we kind of fill it out with this description. Look at this, it says, we're preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice To make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone that is seeking after him. And I love that. And what I want to do is kind of unwrap that. And here's what I want to do tonight just for a few brief minutes. I want to look at why in the world are we preoccupied with making Jesus make sense. And then I want to look at this. Well, what does that mean that we're preoccupied with that? Like how does that kind of tease out? And then how in the world are we going to do that? And here's what I want to do. For a few brief minutes, I want to go to a passage of Scripture that I think is the we live to make Jesus make sense passage of Scripture. A guy named Paul wrote it. He wrote it to real people in a real church. And in this little passage you have in front of you, Paul is saying this, we live to make Jesus make sense. Let's read the whole thing, and then let's go back and kind of tease it out. So if you have your Bibles open, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 14. Here's what it says. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do that any longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, new's here. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself. We're gonna talk about that. In Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, here is the we live to make Jesus make sense verse. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. It's just as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone who is seeking after him. The first question is this, why in the world are we preoccupied with making sure the story of Jesus makes sense to people and it's all in here? There's four reasons. If you're writing and taking notes, you ought to write these things down. They're all in here. All in 2 Corinthians 5. The first one is found in verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, for Christ's love compels us. Let's stop. It's so key that you understand what's going on here because this will change. Some of you grew up in church, right? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. Some of you grew up in church. And I think this is gonna rearrange some of the way you look at what I wanna talk to you about because Paul said the motivator, the igniter, the thing that drove him to make Jesus make sense was the love of Christ. Jesus was the love of Christ and he says this for Christ's love compels if you write in your Bibles and by the way I'd recommend you do I would circle the word compels because that word is key here's what it means here's what it means okay that word compels means to fill up till you're ready to burst you ever put a a water balloon under a spigot and fill it up and fill it up until all of a sudden it can't take anymore and boom it just pops that's what Paul's saying he's saying that this is key. I don't know how you look at the Christian life, following Jesus, all that, but it's like, I wanna put my life under the water spigot of God's love and it is an infinite, everlasting, forever love. It's deep, it's high, it's wide, it's long. He said, if I live my life under there and realize God's love doesn't just fill me, but it keeps filling me, he said, it's that love that kind of begins to expand and he said, that's what compels me And because it compels me, I want to pop. And somehow I hope when I pop, it's the love of Jesus that gets everybody wet. You tracking with me what he's saying? You see, it's so key. Why in the world are we preoccupied? I'd write it down this way. We're preoccupied because God is preoccupied with us. We have a God who is preoccupied with us. You see, this is so key because here's what I found. A lot of people, and you might be one tonight, Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe maybe you're just exploring this deal. I don't know. You might be somebody, maybe you grew up and you're, you thought God's mad at me. I meet a lot of people and there's people say, you know, I think God's mad at me. God knows everything I've done. He's frustrated with me. And here's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus isn't that God's mad at us. It's that he's chasing us, pursuing us, preoccupied with us. In fact, I like to say it this way, that God literally died to have a relationship with us. And so the reason we're preoccupied with making the story of Jesus make sense is because God is preoccupied with us. And so we live our lives underneath of the reality. By the way, let's just stop for a minute. If you grew up in church, I wanna, I wanna rearrange something that maybe you were taught, I, I really feel like I need to do this. Okay, I've been a pastor 25 years and I think a lot of people think of spiritual maturity this way. They think spiritual maturity is I get saved and then I start doing a lot of things. And the more things I do, that's the more mature I am. No, no. I know a lot of people that are busy in church that aren't spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity is this, is me growing in my understanding of how much God loves me. When I was four years old, I knew my daddy loved me. I had a four-year-old understanding of how much my daddy loved me. When I got to be 12, my understanding was a little different, right? Because I, I converse with my dad. I saw what he did for me. When I got to be 18 and my dad, my dad saw some things I did that were wrong and he forgave me and helped me and restored me, I knew it a little different, right? When I became a daddy, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my goodness. My dad's love for me was bigger than I thought. Now that I'm a granddaddy, my kids are up and gone, you know? All of a sudden, I, w- what happened? I begin to mature because the more I grow up, the more I understand how loved I am. And the more I understand how loved I am, the more it fills me and I wanna bust with it. You see, telling people about Jesus isn't this legalistic obedience to a law. It's not driven by guilt, it's driven by grace. That's why Paul said this. I think we'll throw it on the screen. I just wanna show it to you. He, when he was praying for a church, by the way, if you're a parent in the room, this is how my wife and I chose to pray for our children. It would be worth writing down. But he says, I pray for y'all being rooted and established in love that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to be really busy doing a lot of things at church. Make sure you go to every Bible study they offer. Make sure, oh, that wrong version. I'm sorry, right? That you may have the power together with all... I love this. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I love that. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's spiritual maturity. That's what it means to... And what Paul says is the more mature I become, the more filled I become and I'm compelled. I can't even keep it in. It, it makes me think and then, and then I need to race because John said I have a time limit tonight, so I need to race, all right? And he said it's two and a half hours, so relax, we'll be all right. It makes me think this. There are statistics that say this, that the longer somebody knows Jesus, the less they share Jesus. is that interesting? That the majority of people, the longer they know Jesus, the less they share him with their unsaved neighbors and friends and people who don't know Jesus. And it's like, I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's because we've got spiritual maturity messed up. And I wonder if we told people it's more about doing than living our lives underneath the water spigot of God's love. Because when I do that, it's like Paul says, I can't even hardly keep it in. Like, I can hardly contain myself. That's not all for the sake of time. He says this, Second Corinthians 5, verse 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us. And then this is key because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. I want you to write it down this way. We are preoccupied because the story of Jesus is true, relevant, and urgent all three of those, it's true, it's relevant and urgent. Here at Grace Church, we believe the story of Jesus is true as found in the Bible. We believe the story of Jesus is the most important story you will ever encounter. And because we believe it's true, we believe it's relevant and urgent. Here's what I'd say. You might be here tonight, and you might be like, I believe the story, I believe Jesus was a real person. Just engage with me for a minute. that, That the story of Jesus is real, if it really happened, Then then here, this is this is not original with me. This was a guy named C.S. Lewis. He's a lot smarter than me. But if the story of Jesus really happened, then he was one of three things. He was he was either crazy. The story of Jesus, he was either crazy because he said crazy things, or he was a liar. He lied to everybody he talked to, or he really was who he said he was. He was the Lord he was the savior of the world and if he was the savior of the world he, if he was the lord the king who came if he truly was who he said he was then here's what that means the story of jesus if it's true it's relevant it's an all play moment everybody's included and if the, if it's true and if it's relevant right it's urgent like we have the most urgent message this globe this globe has to hear it's fascinating Uh, The story of Jesus is found in this passage. It's like we don't even have to go outside of 2 Corinthians 5. Here's what it says. What's the story of Jesus? It says, verse 21, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who didn't deserve to die, he died for all of us who did. And he did, why? So that we could be forgiven, right? So that we could be forgiven, so that we could be in a relationship with God and so that we could have a hope for heaven. That's why he died. We just did a funeral today of a young 28-year-old gal. And she had said yes to Jesus. She was a beautiful gal. And uh, she, she died about a week ago. But, but she had no fear in dying. She'd say, I'm ready. She had this, this disease. Why? Because she had hooked her life into Jesus. You see, the story of Jesus is this. Is the one who did nothing wrong came and died for all of those who did he who had no sin made himself sin so that we could be made righteous. And let me explain it this way. Now, when I was coaching football, uh, I was about 12, 13 seasons in and so I was kind of the old timer and so you can get away with things when you're the old timer, right? And I had two guys on my team that were toads. You know what I mean by that? Like they, if I said up, they went down. If I said right, they went left, right? I mean, they were gonna cause chaos no matter what. And so they were always getting in trouble, and so they were suspended one game. They couldn't play, and so they're on the sideline. And uh, on the sideline, I said, hey, listen, I need you guys to be paying attention. I need you uh, to make sure you're not messing around. Don't distract the other players. Guess what they did? They messed around and distracted the other players the whole game. I kept turning around and said, you better stop. You better, you know, finally, man, i would had enough. And I just looked at them, and I said, see me after practice tomorrow. Well, if you've never played football, you didn't want Coach to say that, right? Because the punishment, when you got in trouble, where I coached was you had to run the fence. You had to run the fence. Now, I coached at a rather large school, and so the fence was about two miles the whole way around. (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounded like I enjoyed it, right? Yeah. (laughs) But, so we had practice this day. And those guys were there, they never made eye contact with me, (laughs) I wouldn't have either, right? We went through all the practice, it was a hard practice, everybody's tired. One of the guys was a big lineman. He was heavy set. He, he, he was a chubbier guy. Uh, the other guy was a wide receiver, and he was fast, and whatever, whatnot. And so I remember them coming at the end of practice, and I stood at the gate of the fence where they had to go through. And I'm just waiting for them. And they come walking by me, and I called them by name, and I said, hey, why don't you come over here? They come over and stood and said, yes, sir. You know, they're like gonna be real polite, hoping I'll forget about things, right? And I said, you guys were real toads yesterday, weren't you? And they're saying, yes, sir. You know, just like that. And I'm like, wow, this is good. And I said, uh, I told you time after time to stop doing it, didn't I? Yes, sir. You know, they're giving me all that I want. And I'm like, what you did yesterday deserves punishment. And they're like, yes, sir. Kind of like that, you know. And I said, "I, I have given you so many chances. So many chances. And you keep distracting the team, and yada yada yada. And I said, "Today, you guys—it was a hot day. I never forget it. It was a hot day." I said, "Today, what you guys did deserves to run the fence. Don't you agree?" I remember in the heavy-set kid's eyes, right there, he started to well up with tears. His big guy, full equipment, and they looked at me and said, "Yes, sir." And I said, "You bet. You deserve to run the fence. I ought to make you run it twice." Like, I was was pouring it on. And I looked at those kids, I want you to remember this. I looked at those kids and I said, I want today to be a day you never forget for the rest of your life. They thought, he's going to kill us. That's what they thought, you know, he's going to kill us. And I took my whistle off and I put my whistle around the young, skinnier kid's neck. And then I went to the heavyset young fellow and I handed him my clipboard. They looked at me like, what in the world's going on? It was just the three of us out there. And I said, Today, coach is going to run the fence for you. And you're going to stand here and watch. And I took off running. I got halfway around the fence and I thought, this is the dumbest idea I ever had in my life. I was going to be honest with you. <laughs> I thought I'm going to die. <laughs> I got around to the end of that fence, and once I caught my breath, I said, I want to let you know something. I want you guys to know something. I said, do you know that's how much God loves you, that Jesus did that for you? When he died on the cross, he ran the fence for you. He took your place. You see, here's the deal, guys. We're we're convinced that the story of Jesus is that he came, and the one who didn't deserve it, he died it. So that those of us who did deserve it could have what we don't deserve. That's grace. You see, why do we live to make Jesus make sense? It's like the most incredible story ever. And we're convinced of it. But that's not all. In verse 16, Paul says this. and I'm gonna race through some of these. It says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do that any longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Here's what he's saying, the story of Jesus simply changes us, it makes us new creations and it changes the way we see people. Like, like the story of Jesus changes the way I see people, I no longer see people from a worldly point of view, right? Right? It's no longer simply the boss that I work for. It's no longer simply the lady who irritates me across the street. It's no longer that. I see people different. I see people who are loved by God for whom Jesus died. Or let's say it this way for the sake of tonight. I see people, every person I come into contact with is somebody Jesus ran the fence for. Some know it, some don't. You see, here's the deal. We're preoccupied with this and I want you to write this down somewhere because people matter. People matter. And when all of a sudden I begin to see people that way, it changes the way I see people. A few weeks ago at our staff meeting, we had in the, uh, the uh, HR manager for Chick-fil-A. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, like Chick-fil-A. It's like the kindest, most friendly place in the world, right? And so we had the, the HR manager come in and say, what's the secret, Right? And so he began talking about their techniques. I want you to remember this. He began talking about, you know, we teach our employees eye contact, right? We teach them to say, uh, not you're welcome, but my pleasure, right? And uh, he began to teach us all these techniques that they teach their employees. But then he said this, I'll never forget this. He said, that's not even the key though. The key is found in a little video. In fact, you can look it up, not now preferably, but you can look it up, right? Uh, You can YouTube it, it's Chick-fil-A, everyone has a story, But he showed us this video. I'll never forget it. It was powerful. Because in this video, they showed people walking into Chick-fil-A. And they had these little, you know, imaginary bubbles over their head that told their story. One guy walked in and went up to order. And over top of his head, it said, just lost my job yesterday. I'm not sure how we're going to make it. Little girl was running around Chick-fil-A. And it said, my mommy died giving birth to me. My daddy hates me. Over here was an old couple who said, we wanted to have kids, never could. Still dealing with the disappointment. Story after story after story after story. And all of a sudden you realized that they didn't simply see somebody looking for a chicken sandwich. They saw people who had a story. And they decided not to serve them a chicken sandwich, but to serve people a chicken sandwich. It's a big difference. You see, people matter to Jesus. They matter to me. Why are we preoccupied with this? Because people matter. In fact, there's an interesting story about Jesus And here's what it says in Matthew 9. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, look at this, he had compassion on them. Look look here a second. Here's literally what, if you write in your Bibles, you you might want to write this. I have this written in my Bible. Here's what the word means. His guts wrenched. Very descriptive. His guts went, just like that. Why in the world when Jesus saw the people did his guts wrench? Why was that his response? Look at this, because they were sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me just be tender with this, but clear, and then go to the next point. When Jesus saw people who were lost, harassed, and helpless, he didn't see enemies. He wasn't shocked. Listen close, lean in if you grew up in church. He wasn't shocked that lost people lived like people without Jesus. That's fascinating to me. He's not picketing them. He's not protesting. He's not yelling at them. He's not annoyed with them. He's not wearing signs. He loves them. Gave his life for them. I just met with a couple in my house this week. They asked me to to do premarital counseling. I'm not doing their wedding, but they said, hey, we don't know anything about marriage. Would you talk to us? And sure, I'll talk to anybody about that. They came to my house and we spent about an hour and a half, two hours together. Neither of them followers of Christ. And so I'm explaining this whole thing to them. And the gal said this. She said, you know something, I'm really confused because I go to Akron U. And me and my friends always know when that week is. I said, what's that week? She said, we call it Bible week. I said, what is Bible week? She said, Bible week is when people show up with signs that say burn in hell to different groups of people. And she said, I'm having a hard time understanding this whole Bible thing. I said, I would too, if that's all I had to understand it with. You see, Jesus, when he saw people who were lost, he saw sheep without a shepherd. And he loved them. He wasn't annoyed at them, he wasn't yelling at them. I'm not sure where it happened, where churches began to get the idea that to express the story of a God who's preoccupied with us, that we ought to be angry at people, that we ought to isolate people, right? Right? That's why I love, there's a statement we use is we accept people where they're at to take them where they need to go. Jesus loved them, ate with them, talked to them, asked them questions, got to know them, helped them. Which leads to this next thing and then on to the next. But he says this, verse 18, all this is from God. He's the one who made it possible for us to have a relationship with him through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, ran the fence for them. Here's key, this, this blows me away every time I read it and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's let that sink in. Like, (laughs) somewhere along the way, God said, hey, I think a good idea would be for the way for me to get the message to everybody who needs to hear it is for y'all to be my ambassadors. That's like sobering to me. Like somewhere along the way, God said, I think it'd be a good idea. I'm not gonna like run an airplane, put a big banner out there. I'm not gonna, he said, I'm gonna send you. I want you to be my ambassador. And it helps me understand why in the world we're preoccupied with this. I want you to write this down. We're preoccupied with this because Jesus is literally making his plea through us. Like he's literally making his plea through us. He said, You're my choice. You're my choice. You're the one that I want to make my plea through. I want to get the message across through you. And so he's literally begging, pleading, urging, explaining. You see, we're preoccupied because he's preoccupied with us. We're preoccupied because we're convinced it's true, it's relevant, and it's urgent. We're preoccupied because everybody's got a story and people matter. And we're preoccupied because Jesus said, I'm going to make my plea through you. That neighbor, that neighbor, 38,000 people, by the way, unchurched, three miles of this, this building. That neighbor who like, I can't understand why they God said, I think I want you to be the one to be my ambassador. It's fascinating. All of that leads to if that's why we do what we do, well, what does it mean? Well, it means this. We'll make any necessary sacrifice, right? That's what it means. Now, everybody, look here a second before we go any further. Why would we make any necessary sacrifice? Let's not make this too hard. Because the story that preoccupies us is about God making all the necessary sacrifice. That's why we'll make any necessary sacrifice. Like, we'll make the sacrifice to make this story clear because God made the sacrifice. Uh, it makes me think, I don't know, did you guys know you had a celebrity in your church? Raise your hand if you knew you had a celebrity in your church. Yeah, the one who hosted tonight is a celebrity. Anybody see Beth, the one who hosted tonight on the news? Raise your hand if you saw her on the news. Some of you saw her? Yeah, Somebody's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and I'll get the story messed up, I'm sure, but she told us in staff meeting this story, and it was fascinating to me because I think it was Valentine's night, she lost her dog, and they were going to celebrate the first birthday of their dog, and it was traumatic, and she was frustrated, and she wanted to be able to solve this, and she was frustrated she couldn't solve it Uh, so she had to call in help and uh, I I think they had all kinds of emergency people and they were getting ladders out and crawling across the ice and people were drones were flying overhead to find her dog and they actually stopped two trains I think one from the east and one from the west I mean uh, they were moving heaven and hell just to get this dog I'm just telling you right and uh, they spared spared no expense just to find this dog and it struck her she said if if those people will go to that length to save my dog and by the way the dog's okay (laughs) yeah if those people go to that length what is that but pale in comparison to the length God went to save me and to rescue me and when I think about that's the story of God I think about the fact that if that story is what fills me then that story is going to pop from me and we'll make any necessary sacrifice so what's the necessary sacrifice I want you to write a couple things down and then We'll tease them out. First is this. We'll make the necessary sacrifice first and foremost to meet people on their turf. The first thing means we're willing to go where they are. Talk to people on the turf where they live. If we're ambassadors, here's what an ambassador does. They go to the country of another that they are sent to to convey a message. That's what an ambassador does. They learn the customs, the language, and they contextualize the message. By the way, by the way it, it, G, that's what Jesus did. He met a religious leader at night because he was afraid of his peers. His name was Nicodemus. He went to a well in the hometown of a lady who had quite a past. Jesus over and over and over and over and over again is meeting people on their turf. He sat and had lunch with a guy named Matthew and all of his friends. He took a lot of grief for it. And so if we're gonna make any necessary sacrifice, that means we're gonna meet people on their turf. Not only that, I want you to write this down. We're gonna learn to speak their language We're going to learn to speak their language. Now, this is key. Here's the deal. How many of you have been out of the country? Anybody ever been out of the country? A couple of you have, okay. I've been out of the country where they don't speak English. And when you go to another country where they don't speak English, you know what you don't do? You don't demand that they speak English. You you don't run around and say, listen, you guys need to start speaking English. You don't do that, right? If you want to communicate with them, what do you do? You try to learn their language, right? and you have a little fun with it and you might mess up here and there. The truth is, if we're gonna somehow make Jesus make sense, we're gonna have to somehow begin to speak the language of people to whom he doesn't make sense. And we can't assume, we can't assume, they understand. some of us grew up in church. And so there's certain things, like I can just tell you, washed in the blood of the lamb, that is near and dear, right? That is a beautiful, beautiful phrase if you grew up in church. If this was your first time in church, you'd be like, that's creepy, that's weird, right? Like if you just showed up and this was your first time ever and and somebody said, hey, are you viewing worse than the blood of the lamb? It's like, I might get out. Like, I don't know. Is this a cult? What's going on, right? Now, is that a beautiful phrase? You bet. But I gotta figure out how in the world am I gonna communicate that phrase somehow so that it's understood. And so we're gonna learn to be able to speak. Not only that, I want you to write this down we're going to find new ways to effectively communicate an old story we're going to find new ways to effectively communicate an old story how many of you got kids raise your hand if you got kids okay how many got kids put your hands down if you got kids that are school age raise your hand or maybe were school age man my kids are in school and i did i tell you this i don't know if i told you this i was a math major i took calculus 2 you impressed i took calculus 2 when my kids went through middle school math, they'd bring their homework home. Anybody tracking with me? And they're like, hey dad, can you help? I'm a math major, right? I took calculus too, bring that homework over here. And I'd sit there and they'd say, we gotta figure this out. I said, all right, I'd figure it out. I said, here's how you do it. And they'd say, dad, that's not how we do it, right? And I'd say, what do you mean that's not how we do it? Show me how you do it. And they'd do boxes and all this crazy stuff and we'd end up with the same answer. I for the life of me couldn't figure out how in the world they got what they got. They looked at what I had and said, how'd you get what you got? I just had an old way of getting what I got with the same answer. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The old story never changes. The old story never changes. Let me say that again. And the old story is a story about Jesus. You see, that story never changes. But what does change is we learn all kinds of ways in which to communicate that story to people. Why? Because that story is true, relevant, and urgent, and it's an important story, and people matter, which leads to a last thing, and that's this, and then we'll land this this plane tonight. It means we're going to make the necessary sacrifice, and I want you to write this down to allow people's needs to trump my preferences. Here at Grace Church, I want you to know this: we are not, we are not about developing ready? Consuming church attenders as much as we want to see, give it away disciples. It's different. So here's what that means. That people who come and their guests, their needs are going to trump our preferences. I remember when I was planting the church in Indiana, our church had grown to be about 60 and we were in in a brand new space and I remember there was this little old lady and uh, her well it doesn't matter her name but she's with Jesus and uh, I loved her to death and she couldn't wait for us to get a building we had met in a school for several years when we get a building we're going to be in the promised land she said you know and I'm like okay cool and uh, so we had this this space in a building I remember one Sunday we had these brand new people that I had been sharing Christ with they showed up to church and they sat right there the only problem was guess what that happened to be Lucille's seat And I remember the moment when I was standing back there and I watched her march right up here and she said, excuse me, you're going to have to move. That's my seat. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Somehow she lost the idea of what it meant to be a give it away disciple. And she said, this is my seat to consume. Here's the deal. When I begin to understand that there is a God who sacrificed everything for me, I realize that God gave the church to the world and I'm willing to sacrifice. And and all of a sudden people's needs are going to confront my preferences. People's needs are going to trump my preferences. You see, the why is simply this. I'm filling up the love of Jesus. He's preoccupied with me. It's a true story, right? It's a true story. If it's true, it's relevant. It's urgent. Beyond that, people, people, they all have a story. Right now, we're going to ride out of here and everybody we encounter, they're going to have a story. And God said, you're my ambassadors. So we're going to make any necessary sacrifice. So how does that look? Three things... In two minutes, and then we're done. And I'm going to have John and the band lead us in a song. What does that mean? How does that look? Well, it means this, that we're going to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible. And there's three ways we're going to do that. Three ways. First is this. We're going to make it clear and accessible by beginning to pray for our three. If you're in the room, here's what I mean by that. If you're in the room, and you have trusted Christ, all this means is I want you to think of the three people that God's placed in your life for whom the story of jesus has not yet made sense and i double dog dare you to begin praying for them every day i double dog dare you to do it see when i was at this church in indiana and we're going to get together on march 17th i double dog dare us to do it there when i was at this church we started with 15 people and everybody used to ask me as a young pastor how big's your church I'd be like, oh man, there's 15 of us, you know, like, you know, I wasn't sure how to answer the question. One day I stood in front of those 15 people, and they all were followers of Jesus. And I said, raise your right hand if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus. They all raised their right hand. I said, raise your left hand if you know two people that don't know Jesus. They all raised their left hand. I said, stand to your feet if you know three. They all stood to their feet. There were 15 of us in the room. And I says, near as I can tell, the purpose of this church has already begun in the lives of 60 people. Don't you dare look at who comes to this room and determine how big the purpose of God is for this church. Because I bet you my next paycheck, if I were to ask you the same question, there would be half to three quarters of you that would be able to stand to your feet and say, there are people in my life who don't know Jesus. And here's the deal. He said, you are my ambassador. If you let the love of Jesus fill you up, it's going to pop out. And that message is true and real and relevant. And he's placed you in their life for a reason. And they might not be coming in here tonight. They might not be coming in here next week, but you might be the one who's going there. Because you're the one who lives beside him, works beside him, goes to school beside him. You see? And So you begin praying for your three, and then all of a sudden you say, God, would you do something through me that I can't do by myself? It leads me to think of a second thing, and that's this. We're going to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible by preferring our guests when they gather in this building. When guests come here, we're going to prefer our guests. We're going to do anything possible in our services to remove obstacles. That's why we do what we do. By the way, some of you, and what an incredible group of volunteers, some of you in this room are parking cars. We never park cars. We always park people and show them a parking space. Some of you are greeters and you hold doors. We never hold doors here. We always welcome people, people who have a story. See how that works? You know, like, wow, you got coffee out here. We never serve coffee. We always serve people coffee. Why? Because people matter. You see, it determines how we do what we do. We live to make Jesus make sense, leads to the last thing, and then I'm done. We're gonna make it clear and accessible by leaving this building to show and tell the story of Jesus. The most important moment of any church gathering The most important moment of any church service is when we're done and the church leaves the building to be the church. Because here's what the Apostle Peter says. He says that when we leave the church, that this gospel thing is a show and tell thing. And that if somehow the gospel shows up in our life, people are going to be like, why do you live that way? Why, when everything seems to be going crazy, do you seem to have this hope? And he said, when they ask you that question, be ready to what? Give an answer. First Peter says it really well. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I want you to pray with me.